Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Of course, they're makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom-stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I am the beast from the East. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My name is Dr. James Diem. I'm on the East Coast. And I am joined by, of course, the uber-talented uh, Roya, Dr. Roya Habibi, who is repping the West Coast. West Roya, side? what is up? <laughs> What's up, dude? It's, it's been it's been a bit. Can't yeah, excited we took to a little hiatus. No, you know, a little. It's summer, right? It is. It is, and we're enjoying ourselves. What are we talking about today? We are super excited about the month of August because you know everyone's been coasting along all summer slash all year, and now you're halfway through the re- year realizing maybe like, how do I get my patient numbers up? How do I do this? How do I do that? And we decided to make a theme about business skills, marketing, branding, social media, analytics, SEO, <laughs> Why you got to spend money? Help. What do we do? That's right. So, yeah, we just decided to dive in here. And what, what better topic than something that a lot of us really don't know and really don't have background on? What about you? And you think, think you're skilled for this? I don't. And I want to be very badly. I mean, many people know I put, you know, goofy little videos of myself on Facebook all the time. And, you know, I, I do. I want to be be good at marketing the practice. And, and uh, as I've said on podcasts before, I, I bought half the practice uh, about a year ago. And one of my jobs as part of, you know, an owner of this practice is to run the marketing in the practice, which probably we should, you know, have somebody else doing that. And so, you know, we have somebody here today that, that, you know, actually does that and is uh, currently working with optometry practices and other businesses and, you know, honing their, uh, their identity and their marketing, uh, numbers and where they're putting their resources and it's a lot of resources i mean i made a few decisions today on um you know marketing that probably totaled around ten thousand dollars you know for the next i don't know six months three months and and it's it's a big investment and uh it's it's an important one and in putting the money in the right place can really be a good thing so uh we we have a great guest his name is chris tracewell chris are you there I am here. Thanks for having me. Uh, how are you guys doing? We're, we're great. We're, we're so fantastic. excited to talk to you, Chris. Likewise. So, Roya, will you tell me a little bit about Chris? I would love to. So, why I think Chris is pretty cool to have on the podcast today is he is not an optometrist. He is not trained with an OD behind his name. He he is the owner of a company called Morris Coding super catchy name, a marketing and media development firm. He's a native Oregonian, graduate from the Ludquist College. Is that right? Ludquist? (laughs) (laughs) Ludquist. Nice. I like it. I I wouldn't have said it right either. Ludquist College. It's a very good school, though. But it is at University of Oregon (laughs) (laughs) and double majored in marketing and management. For the record, this is not a phonetics talk. That is a marketing talk. (laughs) 
We're optometrists, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no one said we could talk. But seriously, um, he's been developing marketing and media solutions for the past 22 years, um, since 1996. Um, and so, awesome, dude. Uh, really, really passionate about his work. And it's really exciting to see his his products because it's really uh, portrays a strong message. So I'm really excited to have him have a little insight on optometry and be able to maybe be a great reference for us. He's also pretty awesome in his personal life as a two-time Iron Man, which you Ooh. guys both know more about Iron Man than I do, but it just seems really strong. It just means he's <laughs> badass. Right. <laughs> but... But yeah, I mean, we're super excited to get this chance to talk to someone who's a fresh perspective that isn't going to be thinking strictly about, not that you shouldn't think about patient care and application to marketing, but to really get the full scope of how to really brand yourself, how to really market yourself properly. I I would also like to add that he is the brains behind a lot of the Valley Contacts marketing initiatives that you see. So, you know, the cool, fresh look to a lot of the Valley contacts marketing that you see is, is really the brainchild of, of Chris. So, um, also, you know, you, you see his work out there. So, uh, that just gives you a taste of what he does. So Chris, thank you so much for coming tonight. Uh, we are really excited to get to know you a little bit better. And as many of our listeners know, we like to barrage you with a bunch of questions that have absolutely nothing to do with anything that people want to hear about tonight. So first Roy is going to ask you, a couple questions. So, this is a question we ask every person first. It's a true test of personality. Are you a cat or a dog person? Oh man, uh, you know I got to be honest. It's a toss up. I used to be only a dog person. Um, Such a cop out. But then we, but then we, no, no, no. We got to, you know as long as it's an outside cat, I'm good. Barn <laughs> cats, man. We moved into our place uh, ten years ago, and we had mice everywhere we got two cats Ooh. they stay outside and man they they clean the place up so I, I love those cats cats don't get enough respect chris and uh barn cats are one you know type of cat that deserves a lot of respect they're feisty yeah yeah, yeah they fend for themselves and they'll go out for uh you know days on end sometimes and, in, in fact and just hunt I, yeah they're awesome i think you know this leads into the next question because i often wonder what my spirit animal is. We've asked this to other guests as well. And I think you just helped me figure it out. I am a barn cat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is my spirit animal. So in that vein, what's your spirit animal? So, yeah, I actually thought about this a little bit. I thought you might ask me and I heard some uh, previous guests uh, give a response. So I thought about, I know I'm a honey badger. What? Oh, honey badger. He don't yeah. care. Yeah. So you like honey? No, no. Look up the video on YouTube. It's hilarious. <laughs> there you go. I like it. He pulled it out. Fine. Yeah, fair enough. I'll give you that. Um, sorry to take a step back, but Jimmy, like all I can envision right now when you say that you're a barn cat, we I'm have a barn cat. We have two cats at my parents' house <laughs> and the cats love, I don't live anywhere close to, we don't have barns where we live. We live they live in suburbia and these cats will bring prizes of mice yeah. Or birds, mostly birds, headless birds, just laid on our footstep. And I can love see it. you just kind of doing that with a smile, like, yeah, love you, thanks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am a barn cat. For your family. 
just worked hard for you, huh? a good picture of me as a barn cat on the social media coming up. <laughs> so, Chris, what's the, what is the best concert you ever attended? Tells us a lot about who you are. Oh, man. Um, well, one thing about me is I'm not a big um, uh, crowd person. So most of the concerts that I've been to are ones that I've just been invited as a guest and not necessarily, okay. yeah, not necessarily a band that uh, I really like. So I got to kind of reach back and think. Um, probably have to say uh, I did go see uh, the Taylor nitty. Taylor Swift. <laughs> no, not Taylor Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift? No, no. The Nitty Gritty Beyonce. Dirt Band. Yeah, I went and saw them. Don't even know what that is. You don't know? I'm a loser, Chris. Come I'm a barn on. cat. I'm worrying about. Okay, Chris, you're stranded on a desert island. And what food item would you eat every day for the rest of your life? Hmm. Uh, definitely something uh, of a Mexican dish, probably mm. just because uh, you would get your carbs, you get your vegetables, so right? practical. you get your proteins. And, uh, <laughs> and I could eat uh, soft uh, shredded beef uh, burritos and tacos all day mm. long. So I'll go with the yeah, shredded beef, uh, full-blown uh, Mexican Hot taco. sauce? I'll go with the taco. Oh, absolutely. Guac? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Yep. All right. All right. Yeah, you got it. The, like the guac's it. got all the healthy oils in it, right? <laughs> Look at here. It's so practical. Wow. That's yeah. not what no, I think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should start so. saying that every time I ask for extra. Just trying to get my healthy so. oils. Yeah. Chris, do you, do you know, uh, this is something we always ask everyone to, do you happen to know what your prescription is or your refractive air in your glasses? I see you're sporting some glasses right now. And they are really nice. Yeah, they are. Actually, uh, my kids and I are uh, binging on f The Flash on Netflix at the present moment. And uh, they say they're my uh, Dr. Wells glasses. There's a character in there, and he's wearing almost the exact same glasses. So, uh, But they're 1.0s. And, uh, yeah, i got to thank Roya. She uh, was in town at the Valley Contacts residence meeting this summer and did a refraction for me and got me dialed in. Uh, so all's good. Good job, Roya. Whoop, whoop. Saving lives. One Saving day lives. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, I think I, I feel like I know you much better now. Any right. recent favorite trips, favorite locations? It is summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We try and get out and do a couple trips here in Oregon, Pacific Northwest. I love Oregon. Uh, I surf the Oregon coast. Uh, so I take my kids over there at least a couple times um, a year and hopefully jump in that cold water. Uh, but recently, Ooh. we actually went down to the Rogue River in southern Oregon and went rafting for three or four days. We didn't do a long – there's a wild and scenic section, um, which you have to have a permit for, and it's it's pretty hardcore. But we just stayed up above that section and did uh, day floats you know, for about three days in a row. And, oh, we had cool. a blast. It fun. was so fun. What is wild what is a day and... float? I don't know what that <laughs> so is. So many questions. <laughs> so uh, the wild and scenic is just uh, <laughs> a section of the Rogue River. Um, that's protected. You have to have a, a permit from the state. It's got, uh, it's, it's much more difficult rafting and, and you stay on it for days at a time. Uh, so we weren't on that section. We did what are called day floats. So basically we, um, drove to a campground. Uh, my brothers were there with their family. We all had, uh, set up our campsites oh, and then yes. we, um, every morning we'd, um, take the trucks and, and pull the rafts up, you know, a couple miles, three or four miles up the river 
put in, everybody gets on the rafts, and then uh, it's on a section above the wild and scenic where it's a lot uh, easier, a lot more mellow. And so uh, the kids had inflatable kayaks. We, you know, stopped and, and at some beaches here and there. There's places to jump off of cliffs, and it's just fun. A lot of fun in the ah, sun. I like this. That sounds awesome. Very cool. So that, that leads me to our first sort of topic, and, and we're going to delve into marketing and, and get some, some pearls from you, Chris. But um, we were chit-chatting a little bit before we got on the, the podcast here about vacation time. And since it's the summer and, you know, we're all talking about uh, getting away for a little bit with our families or just ourselves, you know, we're thinking what is a normal amount of vacation time? So I'm an employer. uh, So when I take vacation time, I don't get paid. (laughs) So uh, that's pretty much the bottom line there. So, you know, I really think long and hard about my vacation time. And, and, uh, you know, when I'm not in the office, I'm not making money. So I get that. Um, we give our staff uh, two weeks paid uh, time off. And uh, I was doing a little research and saw that that's, that's pretty average. Um, and uh, I saw that there's, there's some statistics out there that show, you know, you typically will get more paid time off the longer you're with a company. So Roya, how does, how does it work for you? And, and uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, from a business standpoint, obviously vacation is not profitable. Uh, But from a personal standpoint, you need to have a good work-life balance. But for myself at my office, my practice has a – so to take a step back, for whoever doesn't know, I work in a group practice. There's about 16 providers. There's about six or seven shareholders in the company, which I am not one at this point. And we as associates have um, 20 days a year time off. And we have a model where it's sort of like an equal you kill model. So I don't get paid time off. But if I want to take my time, I can take as much as I need. If I end up taking more time, I simply can make up days by working extra shifts um, when when a, when available. But But yeah, I mean, it's it is kind of tricky to take off time. You just have to hope that you can make up for it if there is, if you are on a limited budget of some sort. Yeah, you know, I think if you, um, if too, if you do some research on on this and uh, the way other countries do it, uh, you'll see that there's actually quite a bit of research out there that shows that you know we don't take quite as much vacation time as many other places, and that uh, taking vacation time is actually very very good. It's very productive. It, it, it helps, you know, us get better sleep and that's vital to, to, you know, creativity and being out in nature can help us focus and, you know, going and doing different novelty type things like floating down a river can spark different types of creativity and it changes your perspective on things. So, you know, I think, um, you know, just I was just away. I did a little workcation. I, I went to a conference, a, a scleral lens conference. Yeah, in um, in Fort Lauderdale, and it was good. ICSC. Um, I did. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so Give us a first, little thirty second synops. First time there. Uh, you know, organized by a collaborative eye care care of uh, Nate Tram and Tom Arnold, and uh, you know, I think it's a good idea, and it's growing. Um, and I, I'm interested to see where, you know, where it goes. So um, I picked up a couple pearls. You know, I think the scleral lens world is, uh, 
there's just so much research that needs to be done, you know, and, and so a lot of conversation that basically leads down the road of we just don't know yet. And, and but but it was good. It was, it was a lot of, uh, you know, leaders there and, and I was happy to be part of it and uh, very happy to be at Fort Lauderdale Beach for a couple of days with with my family, which I think was, you know, probably the most <laughs> productive part Highlight. of the whole thing. So That's a solid uh, little write off you had there. Yeah, yeah. So what what we're going to jump into our our the meat and potatoes if you will right of of this podcast and uh marketing and and where do we go from there because it is just such an overwhelming topic and something you could pour so much time energy effort and money into and uh can really be very rewarding but in the same token if you're not really uh doing it right then it could be very very much a waste of your time money and effort so chris i i want to know from you you know where do i start you know how do i how do i you know wrap my head around this you know i'm new to this or i have a practice and i'm wanting to sort of start over what do i need to do well, I think the first thing I tell you to do is, you know, you have to define yourself. That's the first step that most small businesses skip. They go straight to advertising and they don't put much energy really into thinking about who am I and, you know, what's my unique selling proposition and um, how do I differentiate myself uh, from other competitors. And so the first step I would tell you is, you know, spend a little bit of time figuring that out, you know, do a business plan. It'll take you through a lot of steps of figuring out who your competitors are, what market you're in and how you're going to attack that challenge. Uh, even if you don't need to go get bank financing, it's, it's a very healthy thing to do. Um, I'd also say, you know, you need to read and put your mind into business mode and, and read about other people within your industry or, or other industries. I'd say even other industries is even more important that have failed or succeeded and, you know, what they learned along the way. You know, I love Guy Kawasaki. He was a product evangelist for Apple back uh, when they released the first Macintosh in 1984. And he has a book called um, Rules for Revolutionaries. And he has a chapter entitled uh, Eat Like a Bird and Poop Like an Elephant. So what he means is a hummingbird consumes twice its body weight and food every day. And, a, and an elephant poops about 65 pounds of dung every day. So, you know, eat like a bird, uh, consume a lot of data, you know, read, 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 read about people that have failed and succeeded and, and put your mind in that mode and try and, you know, filter your business ideas through it. And then also, you know, don't be afraid, poop like an elephant, spread information around a lot of people that don't succeed. They're, they're too guarded with their plans and they don't get good feedback. So talk to people, bounce ideas, all those kind of things. Um, you know, you have to go through that process and, and, and it has to be authentic. So as you're think about building a brand for your business, um, a brand is all encompassing. It's everything you do. It's not just a logo. It's it's the fonts, the colors. It's how you decorate the inside of your practice. It's how you present yourself to patients. It's uh, it's it's really something that when you start advertising, you want to be consistent and you want to be genuine. So that takes a little bit of thought and you got to make sure you shift into those gears when you start doing those kinds of initiatives. It's it's just very important. How do you how do you start that with someone? I mean, you, let's say you're going in, you're consulting with a group and maybe maybe they have some sort of idea on who they are, whether it be an optometry group or even a 
a gym, whatever. But you go in and they say, you know, we just want you to give us more marketing skills. And how do you say, like, we need to focus this? We need. How do you build that brand with them? What's first step? Well, I think the first step is, you know, getting the trust relationship built. That's um, something that it's hard for people. I mean, people take um, a lot of pride in, you know, their own ideas, creative ideas. And so, you know, I usually come in uh, with the upper hand in the sense that I have a portfolio of proof of things that I've done that are, you know, uh, good and, and impressive. Um, but, you know, it's a discovery process. Any great marketing person is going to take you through a process of, discovery it may be you know an actual i've seen some firms that actually ad agencies that give you you know a survey and have you filled out so they can get an idea of who you are um i tend to just go in and talk with my clients and ask them about their industry and their products and their services and what's worked and what's failed and who's succeeding in their industry um but at the end of the day it really comes down to relationship and trust and uh you know I love Jim Collins uh he's a great business mind uh professor out of Stanford that's written several top selling books and good to great is is one of his better known ones and he just goes through in that book and he did a survey I, I don't remember how many years of businesses interviewing business uh you know, tycoons and, and entrepreneurs and from all different industries trying to figure out, you know, why do some businesses succeed and why do some fail? And, um, you know, it's a great read, you know, talking back about just going through that discovery process for yourself. But then the thing that he brought out that I thought was really interesting was just that um, great companies have great people. Like you have these A-level, B-level, C-level type players. And if you're not surrounding yourself with the A-level players, you're not going to be nearly as effective. And so he has a quote, in fact, that says, a great vision without great people is irrelevant. So, you know, for me, starting that process, step one with somebody that maybe is reluctant or you have a committee of people and not all of them are completely on board. There might be some ownership that's taking place with past work or past identities is really to come in and just win their trust and then try and, um, you know, figure out a way to slide them into a position where they feel like they can have some identity in a new process and a new uh, evolution of their business and their and their company and and that's just something that takes time and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't i i would definitely not say it's a hundred percent of the time i would say you know uh 60 percent of the time maybe you know i win that win that uh trust and it's a mutually beneficial relationship and uh you know i that's what i'm all about i really want to work with people that enjoy working with me it makes my life happier it makes their life happier and if I'm doing, you know, office politics or battling with someone that's holding on to something, I just let go and say, you know, hey, best of luck. And I, I truly wish you well, but I don't want to, you know, spin my wheels here trying to push something forward that obviously is not going to go forward. How do you how do you have that conversation? Because sometimes people get a little attached to, oh, we got a new logo five years ago and we're super excited about it still. Yeah, well, you have that conversation very gently, uh, just like a doctor that's got to remove an obstruction from an eye, right? You got to pull that lid back sometimes. Sometimes you got to, you know, use a sharp uh, tool or instrument to to extract that obstruction. And sometimes there's pain. 
Um, so I go in uh, to those kind of meetings with uh, clients. Uh, usually it's the first or second meeting where we're evaluating. Their go- we're going through that discovery phase, and it's time for me to actually give my input on where I think they are with their brand, their logo, their messaging. And uh, sometimes, you know, people take ownership, and it's not atypical to see, uh, you know, one person kind of sit up in their seat and get offended a little bit. But, um, you know, that's part of what I do. I mean, there's a reason that uh, the biggest and best brands on the planet, you know, have consistent, strong looks. They are what is hip and current and new. Um, is because they have very talented artists and very talented marketing people um, helping them uh, project that image. And so you've really got to trust uh, you know, your marketing uh, partner, whether that's an agency or uh, you know, a, a graphic designer or someone in between. You've got to have that level of trust with them. And you know, there is a, there's a, a very important thing that a lot of people don't understand is that that's that all brands do evolve. Every single one of them, okay? Nobody, uh, for the most part, um, that I can think of uh, stays the same. You know, if you go online and Google, um, you know, Nike brand evolution or NBC brand revolution, or excuse me, evolution, or, or Apple logo evolution, you'll see that they change about every decade or even, even more frequently. And that's just part of the process um, of, you know, making sure that you're always uh, – you know, got the right message, the right look, and, and that you're communicating the correct way. There's an interesting effect um, that's out there that I see a lot uh, with what I do. And I think it's pretty typical within marketing because people get really excited about marketing. And we already talked about that. And people take ownership of creative ideas, which, uh, you know, might end up out there in the public somewhere. And it's this, this effect is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And it was actually coined in 1999 by two uh, Cornell psychologists at the time, uh, David Dunning and Justin Kruger. And What's that? what it is, it's, it's a cognitive bias where people um, who are incompetent in a certain subject area, they're unable to recognize their own incompetence, okay? And, and not only that, um, they also are very likely to feel confident that they are actually competent in that subject matter. So um, I would never go into you know a doctor's office and pretend to know how to refract someone or how to do, to uh, you know prescribe them a medicine. But in my industry, it happens all the time where people think, well, I know what good looking. I have good taste, right? Um, but that's really not the case. You know, I, I um, we built a house ten years ago. And when I first started down that road, I, I started doing the house design myself, the floor plan. And it took me about five minutes to realize I am not an expert in this. There is so much more that I, I need to know, you know, how, how thick walls should be and how rooms should be laid out and what's the benefit of this room being on that side and, or, or over there. And so I hired an expert. And um, it's just really important. It goes back to that, you know, marketing partner thing. You've got to find someone that you can have a good, strong, friendly relationship with. Uh, and have them be your expert, just like an attorney or a doctor. Um, you're paying that person, so let them do their job. As optometrists, we're type A people, and we like to think that we can figure things out. I mean, we've figured our, out our ways to get into optometry school, get through school, to our jobs. And so we feel like, wow, my marketing, how hard could it be? And, you know, it, it takes a lot more than... Uh, a lot of us understand or maybe want to even devote time to. I mean, Chris, what would you say are some of the like easy steps to start? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, first of all, start with that identification phase, you know, figure out who you are. Uh, if you haven't done that uh, and you're starting a new business or you're, you know, taking a, another stab at your own existing business, uh, you know, go through that process of um, really, you know, working to flesh out who you're trying to sell to and, and who you are and, uh, you know, spend some time in a business plan. And then uh, the next step would be to, to get a logo. Um, you know, that should be the natural outcome of that process. So find a great designer who, uh, really inspires you, who you love their work and, um, and approach them. And, and if they're a good fit, work with them and take your time. Don't be in a rush. Um, try and leave yourself a decent budget. You know, you can get a, a logo done for anywhere between 500 and, you know, 5,000. Um, and of course big companies spend much more, but you should budget with within there. And, uh, and then the next step would be honestly, uh, to get a kick-ass website. And the same thing goes if, if your designer isn't a website programmer, then find someone whose websites you really admire. You have to have a website, uh, you know, no matter what people think, uh, a website does not replace, or excuse me, a Facebook page does not replace a website. Uh, ultimately all your advertising, uh, your, your social media advertising and posts, are going to drive people back to your website. That's that's your brochure. That's your online brochure of who you are and what you sell and what you do and how to get a hold of you and all the things that an interested prospect is going to want to know uh, before they come in or call or whatever. Um, you know, once you get a website done, um, just make sure you're you're hooked up with Google. Uh, that Google is the yellow pages. You know, back in. <laughs> The 90s and before, um, that's where you went to find a business. If you didn't have a top-of-mind idea of where you were going to buy something, you went to the Yellow Pages. Well, people go to Google. They just Google it. And um, we all know that uh, there's a ton of Maps applications out there, you know, from Apple Maps to Google Maps to Yelp and all these things that pinpoint and put uh, things on the map of, that are close to us. And Google's the king because people are just going there and they're saying, eye doctor or glasses or whatever and they're bringing up that nifty little map that shows all the little dots of places near them that have that and if you're not registered within google places you don't come up so you actually have to submit something i think they send you a postcard and then you send it back to verify that you are there and um you want to make sure that you you know uh solicit some reviews from existing and past uh, customers uh, so that your ratings higher Google uses, uh, Yelp ratings and their own, uh, Google ratings, as well as, uh, social media posts and likes and so forth, uh, to determine how good of a business you are. They have an algorithm for that. And that will determine whether you come up at the top in organic results, where you get placed within Google places on that map. So you really got to tend to that. Uh, you know, after that, you know, if you're just doing a do-it-yourself type thing, social media is the way to go. It's inexpensive. You can experiment with very low cost. Uh, you know, if you're doing a TV buy, traditionally anyways, um, you know, it's it's a good spend to, to test it. And you're not going to be able to really have those metrics. So social media is a good place to start. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's where I would say to go. Now, if you can afford, again, to... Um, or if you're lucky enough, I'd say in your, your exploration of designers or marketers, uh, to find someone that's really multi-talented uh, and can help you with all of that, it's a huge boon. They can walk through all these different processes with you. Um, I can speak personally. That's, right. that's been one of my huge strengths. I came out of business school with a marketing degree, 
worked for IBM uh, for a year as a marketing assistant up in Portland, and then started my own uh, media company right when the internet was, you know, the public internet was was being launched in 95, uh, 96. And um, I, so I learned the internet technology. I grew up with it and learned programming and actually can program at a very high level. Um, but I also learned, uh, you know, to shoot video on the first digital cameras and editing suites and, uh, of course, design. I've always been a good designer. So I can speak from experience that if you can find someone that's multidisciplined, uh, that's also, you know, got a good brain for marketing, they don't necessarily have to have a degree in marketing. They just need to be a savant or, a, you know, what in business school we call them a, um, a market maven. Someone that just kind of has a feel on, I hate to use the word cool and hip, but really... Uh, someone that just really knows what's trending and, you know, how consumers are reacting at that time. Well, what do you, when it comes to marketing, specifically, you kind of are putting yourself out there, right? To be able to pull in pull in people. And oftentimes, right, people with marketing, how do you do it without being a bit cheesy? I think that's something that people often worry about, especially nowadays with social media. There has to be this fine line of marketing being authentic without crossing that line. Yeah, that's a really difficult one for me personally, honestly, in my own business, in my industry, you know, in my industry, you make pretty things, you make people look as cool as you can. Um, and so then when you get your portfolio of work, you want to show it on, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And um, I just am really guarded about being that guy that's constantly just putting up stuff, you know, asking for praise, um, even though it's kind of a requirement with what I do. I think the key is, is yeah, to be authentic. And in order to be authentic, you don't want to be the guy that's constantly, every time you see him or you go to a dinner party, they're handing you their business mm -hmm. card or some brochure about a multi-level marketing, you know, deal they want you involved in, right? So on social media, you know, don't be constantly posting nothing but sales. Like, you know, this is on sale, this is on sale, or new products, that's all you're doing. Um, those things are fine and good and major, um, but really the opportunity that social media gives us is um, is to give people a peek inside our businesses to who we are. It really, the internet has really changed um, the consumer's perspective uh, back to a time before even the Industrial Revolution. Think about the Industrial Revolution, right? All of a sudden... Um, Boom, factories go up and then office buildings and cubicles and people are just stuffed in them and, and businesses become these huge monolithic entities without a face, right? Well, before that, um, if you want a shoe made or you went to your blacksmith or a tailor, you would actually walk into his shop, right? And he might have an apprentice or a couple helpers, um, but you talked to him and, and you got to know who he was and you probably knew a, a fair amount about his his personal life, his family, and, and what his interests were. And that built a really strong connection um, between the consumer and the producer, right? But we've lost that um, since the Industrial Revolution. But with the Internet, uh, and, and even right now, um, we're seeing it more than ever. It didn't really happen right away with the Internet. It's taken time. Um, but now with Instagram and lifestyle videos, you know, those cool videos that businesses put out where, you know, shows, you know, 
the the cool bike shop or you know a, a tech company a small tech company but it, you know they've got their dogs in the office and they're all going out to get coffee together and then oh, of course it shows them you know working hard at their computers but you get to see that these are real people you get to know a little bit about who they are and what drives them and that builds an emotional connection in the mind of the consumer so you know that's a huge opportunity for um, your social media platforms is to give people a sneak peek inside your business, your practice, and let them see who you are, that you're more than just an eye doctor, that your your lane assistant is a person too, and she has her own you know, extracurricular interests and, and things that might connect on a personal level with people. And so, you know, if you're not taking advantage of that and all you're doing is just constantly throwing out pictures of products you sell or sales events you're having, then you're really missing an opportunity. You're just you're just a faceless entity trying to sell something and not a personal relational uh, person that that the consumer might have a really strong connection with. You know, you know, Chris, that, that what you just said there a moment ago about um, how how the internet has kind of changed the way we're able to let people see who we are and and what we do is very interesting because I think it's it's a, it's so true yet you need to take that opportunity and so many people don't take that opportunity and yet we're uh, in in so many industries being um, challenged by disruption uh, you know there's a lot of disruption there's disruption in in our industry there's disruption in your industry I mean there's uh you know there's an app called Fiverr you've heard of Fiverr you know, you know, and I'm sure, you know, it's, it's like, you know, right. You, you probably roll your eyes at it, but yeah, there's probably some great stuff on there and, and w- wonderful artists and, and people trying to make a buck. Um, you know, there's disruption in our industry. There's something, you know, there, there's online eye exams, online refractions. There's, you know, um, people buying glasses online and, and some of that may be wonderful and, and totally fine, but yet there, there's some real loss of that, that touch that you're talking about. So, you know, there's, there's wonderful opportunity provided to us by the technology that we have to market, yet there's also a lot of disruption. And, um, you know, I think what I find in marketing and talking to people about marketing is, Everybody wants me to market online, and it's so hard to really truly understand what I'm buying. And I know we're going to talk about this more, you know, as as we go into other podcasts a little bit deeper about search engine optimization and Google AdWords and, you know, uh, do we do Facebook ads? Do we do, you know, Instagram ads? I mean, what? how do you play a role in helping someone navigate those decisions well you you brought up two really interesting points there you talked first about disruption which i do want to speak to but um in regards to to you know spending online and and also just the kind of you, you mentioned uh everybody's saying you gotta spend your money online i there's a there's a bias in any media uh channel okay so if you're looking at tv the tv sales reps going to tell you they're they're better than radio and they're better than facebook and you know, same goes with, with someone that specializes in online advertising. If that's all they know, then that's going to be their recommendation. And, you know, it's the hip thing right now. It's where everything's going. I got to tell you, there's actually some really good media buys out there in traditional media. Billboards get overlooked by a lot of people, and they're highly effective, especially if you can find one uh, that's a good rate and a good location with good traffic. Um, it's a great branding tool. 
uh, TV has some really phenomenal buys. I mean, there's still, you know, some, some slots depending on the time of day and the channel that you can really hit a target market and get a message out there in front of them. Uh, but it is, you know, it is a, a difficult thing to do when you're talking about online advertising, probably one of the best things I'd recommend, especially if you're a startup, right? If you're going to start your own practice, um, just for the health of your business, um, to understand the technology, go ahead and do it yourself for 30 days, 60 days, right? Cause the great thing about online advertising, you can spend just a hundred, 200 bucks and see a lot of results, a lot of data. And, um, so what you do is you go in and, and you, you know, do AdWords or Facebook or Instagram ads and just play with it a little bit, you know, see how different keywords and different ads and, and uh, different images, you know, what kind of reaction, what kind of um, response you get from different things. And you'll start, what you'll do is you'll just kind of formulate an understanding of what generally works, uh, how it works, and get a better idea of how um, you want to spend your money. And, and even if you have someone doing it later, you know, just a better way to con- converse with that person on a professional level. Do you think it's, do you think it's worth doing it yourself or hiring a company to do it? Oh, I, I definitely think anytime you can hire a professional, it's uh, a smart move. Uh, you know, in, in, in the marketing industry, there's a specialist called media buyers and they do this day in and day out. And I talked about, you know, bias just a few minutes ago and a media buyer is your best bet to get a clear snapshot of where to spend your money uh what they do is day in and day out all day long they place uh ad buys with different outlets with tv stations and radio stations and they do online uh ad buys and so forth and so on and they just know they just know the days of the week and the times and the channels and uh you know they've seen a ton of success and, and data on what's worked for other people. And so you can glean off of that. And they're actually typically, you know, pretty economical because they actually make a commission, I think around 20% whenever they buy a magazine ad or a TV, um, a, a TV spot from the local station, the station actually sends them a check, uh, a commission for selling ad space. So uh, a good media buyer makes most of their income just off of that. And as long as you have enough budget to get them interested, you know, uh, and I don't know exactly where that is because it really depends on market and, and things like that. But, um, you know, they'll work with you, you know, and they they will make your advertising dollar uh, two or three times more powerful. And that's not a joke. I mean, if you go and, and try and, you know, just call the TV station and say, I want an ad, um, you know, they're they're going to be willing to produce a crappy commercial for you, which has low impact. And they're also going to, you know, be filling, uh, you know, time slots possibly that aren't optimal for you. And, um, and so, yeah, absolutely use a professional whenever possible. Now turning to the topic of disruption, uh, Jimmy, you brought that up and, you know, I, I just want to encourage all the optometrists out there that are listening, you know, every industry goes through disruption, my own, right. My own, uh, profession. I was uh, a lot younger and, and um, there was a big transformation in electronics and technology from 95 to 2000 when it comes to videography. Um, it went from having to have, you know, $100,000 editing suite and $50,000 camera to produce anything that was worthy of being put on TV to, you know, two or $3,000 you could do it. And, um, 
you know, I really, I, I didn't have the high end stuff, but I got in right when the, the, the economical, the barriers to entry dropped in my industry. And I was one of the first movers. And so I, I was doing a lot of work, but then I started seeing other people doing it and coming up and, and, uh, you know, where there was just a handful of people in my town of 125,000, you know, five years later, there was a ton of people doing what I was doing. But what I found, um, and this really goes across any profession or talent is that just because you have the tools doesn't make the end product good, right? So you've got to remember that people are always going to look for quality. You know, you can watch a movie from the 80s, the 1980s, you know, blockbusters. And it's funny to watch them now, but they don't stack up visually to modern movies that just have some, you know, the cranes and the, the cameras are better and, and, and the camera moves and the lighting and stuff. And so consumers have become way more, uh, you know, disciplined. They're, they have a higher uh, aptitude of what looks good. And that's what happens in any industry. And so as my industry evolved, I just evolved along with it. I just got better at my trade and I've never really seen a slowdown. I still get, you know, plenty of work because I do good work. Um, you know, and the, the other thing is, is nothing can replace human touch, right? That that uh, feeling of somebody actually engaging with you. We talked about it before how, you know, technology and the internet has, has brought us back to that place where, um, you know, you could actually go and, and talk to the person making your shoe as opposed to walking into a supermarket and not knowing anything about the person that made it. Um, you know, there's real opportunity in service industries like ours um, to really add to the value just through being compassionate and, and listening and, and offering, you know, input and, and things like that, that you can't get from a mall kiosk, you know, eye test or internet test, uh, you know, eye exam, uh, those types of things can't answer questions. They can't, uh, give recommendations. They can't tell, you know, Jane Doe why her eyes red, um, so it's really business 101, you know, it's differentiation, it's, uh, being consumer driven and, and offering a great experience. And, you know, if you're, um, if you're a, a practice owner, you know, uh, think about that. How can I add to the experience of every single person that comes in for us to, uh, you know, give an eye exam or perform a procedure, um, you know, they should be greeted phenomenally when they come in, you know, it should be a warm place. It should be inviting. It should be, um, somewhere where when they are going and being led to an exam room or an exam lane where they don't feel forgotten about. Um, so, you know, make sure that you're coaching your, your staff, uh, you know, on the importance of just making sure people feel welcome and so forth. And then, you know, as a doctor, you have a great opportunity, you know, people look up to doctors, you guys work hard for your position and your knowledge. And it, it feels really good when um, a doctor actually pays attention to you and, and, and engages with you intellectually. So, you know, use your opportunity while someone's sitting in the chair to just ask them about life or, you know, how they're doing, or if they're explaining a condition, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, just say, Hey, is that, is that made it really rough? I'm really sorry about that. And, and, uh, not just be, you know, shuttling through them through the system. I think from a marketing perspective too, um, it's a really great way to just have, uh, you know, your trap, your staff trained as well as you as a doctor 
to kind of have a routine marketing survey you do every time someone's, you know, leaving uh, an appointment, you know, um, have, have someone, you know, it'd be nice if it were you, I guess, but have someone ask them, um, how was your experience and what did you like and what you didn't like and how could we be better? Just simple stuff like that. Collect that data and just perfect your practice because at the end of the day, okay, at the end of the day, technology is not going to win. It's going to be the people that know how to leverage it and offer a better experience, a more efficient experience to the consumer. Fantastic, man. Whew. That was good. That was some good stuff. That was a lot of info. And, you know, I, I think what, what people need to know is that, first of all, you're available, you know, to to do consulting work both on an individual basis and uh practice-wide and, and business-wide and even uh, maybe even uh, optometric associations want to have, you know, uh, you come as a guest speaker and do, you know, sort of like a, a CE on, on practice management or, or branding and, and finding yourself. I think there's so many different, you know, uh, pearls that you, you gave us there. And I know I'm going to take some of them and uh, implement them into into my practice tomorrow. I know I don't have a business plan that that I could pull out and and that's accurate and up to date. And, and I don't really know a direction, you know. So that so to have that written down in a way that you know I'm constantly working towards is something that that I think you know I I definitely took away from this. So I want to say thank you. Uh, for for spending the time with us tonight, and we are going to have all of your information on on our Facebook, on our Twitter, on our Instagram, on the website which you helped build, and um, we are going to uh, make sure that everyone knows how they can get in touch with you, reach out to you, and and uh, basically just just kind of two seconds take us through. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, really, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, probably the best thing is just, uh, you know, message me through Facebook. Uh, if you go and look, okay. I think I'm facebook.com forward slash Morse design. Someone already had Morse coding, but uh, you can go to my website, morsecoding.com. Uh, I'm actually uh, lifestyle choice and pace. I don't have a contact form. I have my number at the bottom. You can call me there. I stay plenty busy, but I'm always looking for people that are really fun to work with. So don't be afraid to reach out. And I do want to, I, I enjoy speaking a lot and doing presentations um, so, you know, if there's anybody out there that has a need for that, um, look me up. Awesome. Thank you so much for everything, Chris. This has been really informative and quite motivating for hopefully anyone who is looking to kind of get an understanding of what they can do to make themselves better in the field of marketing. But I think that about does it for today. But of course, before we go, we want to thank Valley Contacts for their support, not only, of course, for their lenses they make, but the great people they are to work with. Be sure to tune in for the rest of the month and listen to the rest of our series addressing marketing, branding, digital marketing, etc., etc., etc. But until then, try not to blink.